0: and we have just a great exciting morning this morning Um, and at the conclusion of the message we're going to have a time of baptism which is always just a screaming highlight to step into a room with folks who are testifying about the difference that Christ has made in their lives and expressing their conversion through baptism Uh, There are about half a dozen folks who will be baptized at the end of the service. and I know many folks maybe here are visiting and awaiting that moment. And that will be just at the conclusion of our service today. We're in John chapter 4. We're studying through the Gospel of John. And I'm going to pick up where Matt left off a couple of weeks ago in our discussion on the Samaritan woman and her encounter with the Savior. And I want to pick up where Matt stopped in verse 27 after Christ has sat down with this woman at the well and revealed that He is the Messiah, that revelation is going to find its way into her heart and it's going to have an impact. It's going to have an effect on her life. And that's what we're going to read about and look at that this morning. Verse 27. Just then, His disciples came back. They marveled that He was talking with a woman. But no one said, What do you seek? Why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, Come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of town and were coming to him. Now skip to verse 39. We'll look at those other verses in a moment. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him It's a huge statement that these Samaritans, I believe, were the first to make. I'm not aware of another instance this early in the Gospels that proclaim the, this is the Savior of the world. And it's these half-breed Samaritans who were hated by the religious uh, people of the day who come to that conclusion quickly after spending time with Him. Well, J.C. Ryle speaks of these verses in his commentary on John. He says, The mere worldling who cares nothing about experimental religion may see nothing particular in these verses. To all who desire to know something of the experience of a converted person, they will be found full of food for thought. And I believe very much so. These verses educate us about what does it look like to encounter Christ? To really have a personal encounter with the one who is the Savior of the world. What, what, what is that going to look like? Now, If you're like me and you grew up, I grew up here in New Orleans. I grew up in a religious home. We went to church every week. It would be very rare that we would miss. I mean, we had a fishing camp in, in Port Sulphur that was 10 miles out in the swamp. And so you couldn't get there by car. There was no electricity. We'd stay out. You'd drive out on a boat and you'd stay there. If we stayed on Sundays, we would get in the boat, drive back to the, to the dock and get in a car and go to church and go out, back out again. We went to church every Sunday. The sad reality was that encounter with religion did very little of having an impact on my life. I don't recall, unless there was some kind of a goofy incident where somebody set something on fire or spilled something or fell off a platform, I don't recall ever walking away from a meeting and starting a conversation based on anything I heard or experienced. You know, when you won't talk about something, it says a lot about how valuable that thing really is, how deep of an impact that thing was. I mean, I just watched the Hornets play the other night on TV and. Uh, went into double overtime you know the next day i told people man did you see the game i had something to talk about i had an encounter with something that made a difference to me it wasn't all that important but it made a difference to me but you know it's sad that religion get in, gets into this realm of our lives where it's not making a difference it's not having an impact we're going through the routine we're showing up we're doing the thing but if we're honest it's having no greater impact than i don't know Putting, putting a stamp on a postage, um, postage and putting it in the mailbox. I mean, you don't come running back in from that event saying, Can I just tell you what happened to me? You know, that's just a lack of impact. Well, here is an example of a woman who has an encounter with Christ. What does it look like for a human being who's just walking through life, experiencing life, to encounter the Savior of the world? Is this, is this going to be dramatic? Will it be impacting? Will it lead you with a story to tell? Or will somebody have to bring it up and you have to scratch your head and try and remember, oh, I don't know, I think I ran into a guy at the well today. I, you know, I don't even remember, really. Now, this woman is affected. Now, I put in your outline this thought because many people encountered Christ. Not everybody was impacted by that encounter. Do right? you remember Nicodemus just a chapter earlier? Nicodemus gets the gospel preached to him. In one of the I mean one of the greatest presentations of the gospel that ever occurs, Jesus Christ himself preaches the message of the need for men to be born again. Now Nicodemus comes, and you remember, he's coming asking questions. He's a religious man, he's got a lot of information. He's a Pharisee, so he's an official religious man. He's got training. He's got insight. He leads other people in the realm of religion. And he comes to Jesus one night and asks him questions. He comes scratching his head. He leaves scratching his head. He comes and asks questions. Jesus explains to him, Nicodemus, unless you're born again, you will never see the kingdom of God. He asks a question. He scratches his he head. How can somebody be born again? You can't climb inside your mother's womb a second time. No, 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 Nicodemus. You must be born of the Spirit. The wind blows where it will and... and you don't see it, but you see the effects of it. So it is with the Spirit. He's still scratching. He says, How can these things be? Nicodemus encounters Christ and walks away wrestling. He doesn't walk away like this Samaritan woman. He is a very religious man who walks away wrestling with what was said. As a matter of fact, there's no real clear evidence as to whether Nicodemus ever gets saved. He responds later on. He comes to speak for Jesus that a moral injustice is being done by he's being put on trial this way. Uh, he shows up with Joseph of Arimathea as he's the burial is taking place. But there's no clear testimony that Nicodemus is ever saved. So you can encounter Christ and not necessarily get saved. The rich young ruler, remember, rich young ruler comes to Jesus one day. He's a wealthy man. He's a man of influence. He says, "What must a man do to be saved?" Jesus responds, well, you know the commandments, and he begins to list off the commandments. Quickly, the rich young ruler says, I have kept those since my youth. The reality was he had not, and Jesus quickly shows him how untrue that is. He says, oh, really? Well, I'll tell you what, one thing you're still lacking. Go and take everything that you own, go and sell it, give it to the poor, and come follow me. Now, now what what is that right there? Well, it's kind of like the great commandment put together. Right? You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So Jesus kind of just says, well, let me just serve you up the law. Here's what it looks like. Why don't you give up everything and follow me so that really what you have first and foremost in your life is me and me alone. Oh, and, and go do well to your fellow man by giving them everything that you have. And immediately the guy says, well, wait, time out. Uh, I don't, uh, uh, I'm not sure I really, uh. he thinks about it. And he walks away, the Bible says, grieved. Not saved, grieved. Listen, the reality is you can get around Christ, you can have a personal meeting with Christ and emerge from that meeting unsaved, unchanged. Now I think what's really important here is because even when Jesus sits with this woman at the well, and that led us through this uh, part of the passage two weeks ago. She begins to engage Jesus. As soon as she perceives that he's a prophet, she starts talking religion. Isn't it amazing that everybody can talk religion to some level? And here's this woman. She's an immoral woman. She's a woman who's had five husbands and is living with a sixth. We don't know everything about her life, but this is a woman who, in this day and age, is obviously struggling with righteousness and morality and how to live her life. But you know, in spite of all that, in spite of all her waywardness, in spite of the fact as Matt highlighted for us, she is at that well, midday, in the bearing down heat of the sun, in order to avoid people. But you know, in spite of all her messed up living, she can still talk religion. Jesus comes along, has an encounter with her, and she starts pulling out thoughts. Well, you know, it said you worship on this mountain or on that mountain, you know, uh, You can talk religion and not know the way to salvation. You can be Nicodemus, the rich young ruler. Everybody knows something about religion, even this woman. And encounter Christ and walk away unsaved. Listen, I think that's very, very, very important. I don't know if I can make a more important statement in the city of New Orleans than that. Because somehow we have convinced ourselves that if we... If we know religious information, then we're all right with God. Everybody who encountered Christ could have a religious conversation with Him. That didn't make them saved. This woman is about to experience salvation. This thought from Richard Phillips in his book, he says, How do we know that a person has really been saved? John's narrative highlights three signs of true salvation. Confession of faith in Christ, change in life, concern for the lost. I think that's very, very helpful. This is not a Bible verse that he's quoting. It is a survey of what the Bible teaches about coming to a point of salvation. When we see salvation, true salvation, and I appreciate the fact that he says three signs of true salvation. Unfortunately, There can be a sense of false salvation that many folks can be under. Remember, Jesus warned people. He says, you know, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and you don't do what I say? You can come around and say the right things around me, but but you don't live for me. Your life really isn't for me. Many will come to me in that day and will say, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not cast out demons in your name? Did we not do mighty works in your name? And I will say to them, I never knew you. Now listen, I can't fully explain how anybody could come along and could use religious terminology and have a resume of, of, quote, religious things like prophesying and doing mighty works. I just know at the end of that statement you have the Son of God saying, I never knew you. Whatever it was that happened in your life, I never knew you. The same Gospel writer John writes in his letter, 1 John. He says, there were some in our midst who went out from among us because they were never truly of us. Listen, you can hang around the walls of religion. You can hang around religious people. You can read religious information. And you can get to the end of your life. And you don't know Christ. I think these three elements here are wonderful litmus tests. Is there a confession in our lives of faith in Christ? Is there change in our life? And is there a concern for the lost? I think any one of those missing in our lives could indicate that we are religious people, but we are not right with God. We are not saved people. Let's just analyze this encounter and the impact that it has on the woman at the well. First, her confession Verse 39 calls it her testimony. I think that's a good word, testimony. You've met Christ. You have a story to tell. You do have a story to tell. If you're scratching your head trying to think, what story would I tell? Then that simply is screaming at you. And perhaps you've not really had this kind of an encounter with Christ. So I didn't have a story to tell for for several years in my life when I was younger. I, I could not have told you a story. If you to ask me something about religion, I could have told you about religion, but personal encounter with Christ? I didn't know anything about that. And there hadn't been an impact on my life, even though I had known some things about Christ. What does it mean to confess Christ? The word confess means to say the same. It's a word that, that has in it a coming into agreement. So to confess Christ is to come into agreement with Him about who He is and what He's done and how we're to respond to Him. So confessing is not just saying. Jesus Christ, yeah, I mean, uh, sure, I mean, I believe in Jesus Christ. Yeah, well, confession means to come into agreement with him. Um, I remember Peter used to play with people's minds. We would be with folks out and he'd be striking up a conversation with somebody. And I think I remember one time having this conversation with a person saying, yeah, I believe in Christ. And then I think he turned the word and he says, yeah, but do you, do, do you believe Christ? So you can believe in his existence and that's a safe thing to do. Do you believe him, though? To believe him means to believe what he said, what he said about you, what he said about salvation, what he lived for, what he accomplished. Do you believe him? Well, this is, this is how the Bible describes confession. Romans chapter 10, verse 9. <clears throat> if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. So confession is living in the neighborhood with salvation here. Matthew chapter 10, verse 32. Jesus says, Therefore everyone who confesses Me before men, I will also confess him before My Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies Me before men, I will also deny him before. Before my Father who is in heaven. Very sobering verses about our confession. Listen, public confession, based on the Scriptures, matters. Saying, I am in agreement with Christ. I believe in Him. I have experienced Christ. Confessing that matters in Scripture. Somewhere along the way, religion has invented invented this silent dynamic, this silent religious thing. Can I tell you, there is no such thing as a silent Christian. Silent Christians don't exist in the Bible. Christianity, when it gets internalized, it gets expressed and exposed and announced and proclaimed and confessed. If there isn't a confession of Christ in our lives... Then you are standing in a shadow and you have some great questions about your encounter with Christ. To really encounter Christ is to confess Him, is to make Him known, is to have a story to tell. Please, God, you can't find a Bible verse that I've heard so many mentioned in the realm of religion. Well, I just think religion is a private matter. Listen. I'm just warning you. I don't know where that idea started. I don't know what knucklehead made that idea up. Let me just say it that way. Some knucklehead made up that idea. And it got passed around and eventually all of us... Who who has never been exposed to that thought? I mean, I I was exposed to that thought years and years ago. As a matter of fact, I was exposed to that thought as soon as I got around somebody who made me uncomfortable by talking about religion and sort of requiring me to respond to their conversation. I immediately remembered that uh, religion was a private issue. You know? Well, I just think, you know, religion is kind of a private thing. I think it's between me and God. You know, okay, that's your way of saying you don't know what to say next, right? I mean, that's really what it is. But can I just warn us, the Bible never, ever goes there. Confession is important. It's part of our experiencing salvation. Question, do these verses teach that salvation is based on the work of our confessing? Hopefully you can't come out of the condemnation series we just did. And somehow believe that your work of confessing is actually what saves you. Uh, that would not be true. It's not the work of confession that now, oh, now that I 've confessed, now now I'm saved." no, that's not how it works. James Boyce says it is not true that the birth of a child of God depends upon the outward confession, as if a person needs to confess Christ before God will receive him into his family. It is rather the other way around. listen we confess because we have been born again. This is a a small thing, but it's a very critical thing. We confess Christ because we have been born again. We don't confess in order to become born again. In fact, you don't do anything in order to become born again. You do everything as a result of being born again. But if you really are born again, you will confess. And so it raises the question, if you don't confess, then you're really not born again. See, confession is just an expression of a reality. If I put your hand up here on this counter right here, I took a hammer out. I smashed it as hard as I could. What would you say? If we could repeat it in church. (laughs) At least you'd say "ouch," right? At minimum, you would confess "ouch" in a passionate way as well. I would imagine, right? You 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 don't say "ouch" in order to generate the pain, right? I mean, "ouch!" Bam! And then it it is the whack in the hand that naturally produces the confession. If you have been whacked in your soul by the Son of God and the Holy Spirit has come and regenerated your heart, you will confess Christ. It will come out of you. If if that's not the case, then, then you need to be going back to the crime scene. Go back to the scene of the accident. Apparently you only thought you got hit by the... 14,000 pound bus. It whiffed by you and you felt the wind. <sighs> and that's as close as you got. And every once in a while, you're comfortable talking about the description of a bus. Well, if you get hit by that bus, you won't scratch your head and tell somebody, you know, I don't, I'm trying to remember back a couple years ago, did I get hit by that bus? Um, no, I'm not sure. Listen, you get hit by a bus, you're sure. I remember, I got hit by a bus. Look, look at the marks. I walk with a limp. I'm a different person. You get hit by Christ. Christ is the son of God. He's not even a big asteroid. He's God of the universe. Don't try and come up with an idea that the God of the universe could somehow show up in our lives, make an impact on us, and we're scratching our heads wondering. And we don't go, ouch, in a glorious way. Confession is simply the expression that God came on the scene right here. And you see that in this woman's life. She immediately becomes a broadcaster of her experience. Immediately. Look at verse 28 here. Next thing is her changed life. She confesses Christ and her life is changed. Verse 28. After the disciples have come back, she's had this lengthy conversation with Jesus. He's revealed himself as the Messiah. Verse 28 says, So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, Come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? I just want to focus in on something here. And If you weren't here a couple of weeks ago, Matt did a very good job of, of, of helping us to see the reality of who this woman was. This woman had a way of life about her. She had to. She had been through life. She had trafficked through many things in her life. Jesus meets her and just a casual encounter at a well one day. But we realize and we learn that there's uniqueness to the fact that here this woman is showing up in the heat of the day. How many guys have ever traveled in a desert terrain? You've been to a third world country where it's a desert. You get out in the heat of the day. This is not the day you want to be carrying a big giant water pot up a hill or wherever that thing was filling it up and then she's going to come back with this thing weighed down with water in it this is not the time of day you do this but it's the time of day she does this because we learn from Jesus she's a woman who's had five husbands and the one she has now isn't even her husband can you imagine what this woman's life is like you know, have this picture. Normally, the women of the town would come to together. They'd have a time when they would, most likely, the neighborhood would come to the well, probably early in the morning or late in the afternoon when the sun is low. And, you know, we have this picture. All these women are there. They're kind of dressed like June Cleaver, carrying their water pots and they're coming and wholesome conversations being had and talk about family and what's going on in their lives. And and up comes her. I don't know, at this point, maybe she's on her third or fourth husband. And the conversation stops. And the women quickly fill their water pots and move on. Or they look at her. See, because the husband you now have used to be my husband. Or, you broke up a marriage of a dear friend. You know, how many times did she have to come to that place before it was just better for her to avoid people? You know, enough stares and being looked at a certain way. But she's driven, you know. This experience is happening in her life, but she gets driven from man man to man to man to man. And Jesus puts his finger right on her issue. Your problem is you need living water. You are empty on the inside. And yet you keep doing the same thing over and over and over again. You're in round six of what doesn't work. And without encountering me, you'd probably go three or four more rounds before you died. Isn't this the way people are? People, they get into life, life beats them up. Somehow something didn't work in her life. And she began to go down a different path. And it was an immoral path. It was pain and it was regret. And it was heartache. Listen, this is the experience of life. Isn't this how many people that we can think and recall, people in our own lives, have lived their lives? They're, sort of, they're limping through life. They're unhappy, but they keep doing the same thing they've been doing all their lives. It's never gotten them anywhere. They're, it's never produced joy in their life, but they just go back and do it again. And life beats them up and beats them up and beats them up. And they develop a way of dealing with life. You know, almost some kind of quirky defense mechanism. They're either real loud. You know, they walk in a room and they're real loud and everybody knows they're there. And that's a way of just saying, stay away. I won't let you in. Or they're real quiet and they stay to themselves and they never interact with anybody. Or they get into some extreme something or other. Extreme body piercing, extreme body painting, extreme hair, extreme clothing. They're gothic. They're this They're that. Let me just find something on the edge of the universe here. That I could just kind of, kind of i can find something to connect with and live in here, some defense mechanism for life. This woman had a way of life about her. The difficulties in her life had, had taught her deal with people this way, face situations this way, avoid. If you come at this time of day, because I won't have to deal with certain issues about myself. And that's why I love about this phrase. She left her water jar. I think there's a whole lot of symbolism there i mean jesus is using all this symbolism they're coming to a well it's about water it's about living water it's about water down in your soul well part of her way of life was to take her water pot and go where no one was and get water by herself so she could avoid issues in her life But when she encounters christ she leaves her water jar and does something mind-blowing She goes and runs towards the very people she's trying to avoid. Something has happened to this woman. She is making a huge step, but I think it's a critical step, and it's a a step every Christian really must take at the very outset of their Christianity. In your outline, the initial steps of becoming a Christian, of following Christ, always involve leaving something behind. Always. Coming to Christ and following Him always involves leaving something behind. Now question, doesn't that just make sense? Before we complicate that thought, doesn't it just make sense? Consider your life. Up to this point, this woman has lived her whole life apart from the gospel. Right? No sense of who is God and what is His rightful place in my life. No sense of the redemptive work of God to bring me back into relationship with Him, to to glorify Him. There's no sense of that in me. I'm living my life, and I'm creating some means of living my life, right? I got to have a reason to get up in the morning, so I'm creating values and goals. I've got a philosophy by which I live my life, some way that moves me along, something I get excited about, you know, whatever it is. In this building, we were, you know, whether we just grew up just wanting to have a you know decent home in the suburbs with a wife and two children and a dog and a double car garage. And that's my philosophy of life. That would be good. That's what I'm aiming at. Or there's some here who grew up playing an instrument and just all your life just wanted to record an album, wanted to be a musician. Or somebody wanted to be an athlete. Or whatever it was, there's some philosophy of life that we're trafficking through. And we create a means of living life based on that. But it's void of the gospel. It's got God way out on the fringes, on the edges of the universe for us. Doesn't it just make sense... That if I'm going to follow Christ, I'm going to respond to the gospel, that I'm going to be leaving something behind. I've based my whole life on everything but Christ. If I encounter Christ and he comes into my life, wouldn't you think some things are going to get reoriented? Listen, before I knew Christ, all of us live in this, I'm the center of the universe. Everything that I interpret around me is interpreted as good as long as it travels in orbit around me. And if it ever departs from me or goes in a different direction, that's, that's a bad thing. That's what we label bad. Everything is good when it brings something to us and it stays within our orbit of what we've called good for us. But when you come to Christ, you find out there's this vast universe that exists beyond you, and you are just this particle orbiting around God. And as a matter of fact, everyone else happens to be orbiting around God as well. And you know, that person that kind of began to look like they were orbiting around you. They were moving closer to you, and you thought, Oh, this is good. This is good. Look, look, orbiting around me. They kept going and traveled that way, and you soon began to realize they are departing from me. That's bad. That's not bad. They're orbiting around God. And you ought to be very glad for that. See, I, I, it's a miserable life to want the universe to orbit around me because I can't get it to happen. many of i all mean, have really tried. I mean, probably hired people to help you. I can't get people to respond to me the way I want them to, to think of me the way I want them to, to have life go the way I want it to. It keeps traveling in paths that seem to be determined by some other force than me. Yes, it's traveling a path around God. Well, when I encounter that, I encounter Christ, and I find out all this exists for Him, something that I've been doing is going to be left behind. I'm going to have to walk away from something. J.C. Ryle says, She found at the well a new heart and new objects of interest. She became a new creature. Old things passed away. All things became new. A converted person no longer cares for what he once cared for. A new tenant is in the house. A new pilot is at the helm. The whole world looks different. We have a whole new basis for living our lives. And I'll I love this little phrase. Knowing this woman. So the woman left her water jar and went away into town. Where is she going? She's going to the very people she's been avoiding. She's going to the town people. Something so big has happened in her that no longer is the shame that hung like a cloud over her life. The thing that's governing her. I'd like to just be able to be free from the shame of your past. Something, there's been an eclipse. There's been a solar eclipse here. God has come with His greatness and all of a sudden, the size of her shame and her past, that would have made it very awkward for her to be around these people and to pursue them and to come and speak real loudly to them and to draw all their attention to something that she's experienced. How awkward must that have been for her? But yet she's not controlled by it any longer. Something greater has come into her life. Listen, when we encounter Christ, change happens. If it doesn't happen, it raises a huge question as to whether we've encountered Christ. This woman confesses, she has freedom come into her life. How do you know she's really born again? You know, the Bible says well, being born in the Spirit is kind of like the wind. How do you know the wind is blowing? Because you see the wind? No. Nobody sees the wind. You've never seen the wind ever in your life. You only see the effect of the wind. You only see it kick up dust. You only see it bend over trees. You only see it pull roofs off of houses. In New Orleans, you see some interesting things about... Blue roofs are a testimony of wind, aren't they? You know the wind was here. Did you see the wind? No, I just saw the evidence that it was here. How do you know this woman has changed? Because there's evidence all over her life. She, all of a sudden, is a different person. Conversion makes you a different person with changes beginning to occur all around. This third aspect of her life. Her concern for the lost. I don't think it's an adequate or accurate Christian testimony for somebody to say they've come to Christ, they believe in who He is. And He has really come and made a difference in my life. Period. No. No, you're not to the end of the sentence yet. Because if He really has had an impact on your life, and you recognize the desperate situation you were in when He came and gave you living water and brought life to you, then you cannot help but have a concern for others. Which she immediately does. And she goes back to the town and she says, Come See. Come see a man. Immediately, she is now inviting people to encounter Christ. Immediately. This is happening immediately in her life. J.C. Rao says, In the day of her conversion, she became a missionary. She felt so deeply the amazing benefit she had received from Christ that she could not hold her peace about Him. You know what I think is most critical in Mr. Ryle's statement? Is the amazing benefit. Because if you take amazing benefit out of her encounter with Christ, I don't think she tells anybody. I think she's in touch with the fact that what has come into my life is so big. It is such good news. It is such liberation. It is taking my. He told me everything about my life. In a moment, she could see her whole life and she could see that you are the remedy for my whole life. How big is that? It's the deep benefit that she is experiencing that compels her to go to others and to let them in on this incredible encounter that she's had. Now notice something here. Remember who this woman is. This is not a woman who is running off to go witness, who is deep in her apologetics she has an answer. She's ready. She's read all the material. Frank has done an incredible job with her preparing her to answer every question in the universe. So she goes off now able to encounter every obstacle that a lost person could raise about coming to Christ or not. Is that true? No. I'm pretty sure she's, she's not ready to answer anything. What is she ready to answer? She's just arguing about mountains five minutes ago. And now she's had an encounter. And the only thing she's armed and dangerous with is come and see. Come and see. Right. That's exactly what uh, Philip does. Remember in John chapter one, Philip does the same thing. He has this encounter with Christ. His eyes are opened. He comes and runs to Nathaniel. Nathaniel, we have found the one of whom Moses and the prophets spoke. Jesus of Nazareth. Of course, you know, Nathaniel scratches his head. you say Nazareth? Can anything good come from Nazareth? What what does Philip say? Well, there's a verse in the Old Testament that says, uh, come and see. Come see for yourself. This is as deep as these folks are getting at this point. Just come and see. You know, what's interesting. She didn't come with the agenda, and I think some of us feel this sometimes. She didn't come with the agenda of come and believe. Come and change your life. Come and repent. That wasn't her message. Her message was just, well, come and see for yourself. Come check it out. See, there's something about encountering Christ. And God, I think, sets this up. and He creates opportunities for that to occur. Where people can encounter Christ. I'm pretty sure that when that there would be a difference between the woman at the well sitting with an encounter with Christ and somebody else just simply explaining to her, hey, listen, I just want to have a conversation with you to straighten out your really goofy ideas about mountains and where people worship. No, she has an encounter with Christ, and Christ peers into her heart. It's not just an intellectual discussion. It, he is right on uh, the avenue of her pain and her struggles and her life when he's speaking to her soul. That's an encounter with Christ. And all she can do with people is say, come and see. Come see for yourself. Listen, can I encourage us? You know, Alpha is a great opportunity to do exactly what she's doing here. Just invite somebody. to Come see for yourself. Come check it out. It was Rick or Lynn, I think, were in there just saying, you know, it's had an impact on my life. So I invited friends to come. See, I mean, when something impacts you, You don't have to be able to explain everything about it. You don't have to give every answer in the universe. If it's really impacted your life, listen, everybody in this town knew something happened to this woman. Now, if she ran down the hill every day without her water pot and said, come on out and see this now. She probably couldn't get an audience, but something's happened to her. She's a different person. And now she's back and she's doing things and they're looking at her and they're realizing something happened to that woman. I want to go check this out. If you've encountered Christ and something's happened to you, then it might be as deep as you need to get just to say, hey, come check it out. Come check it out for yourself. Now remember, you might be inviting Nicodemus to come check it out. You might be inviting the rich young ruler to come check it out. So that person may say, okay, fine, I'll come and check it out. And then they walk away and go, I'm still scratching my head. Listen, your job is not to go beyond come check it out. Come see for yourself because mixed into the crowd there's a rich young ruler but right next to her there's a Samaritan woman and right next to her there's a whole bunch of people in a town that all say, yeah, okay, we'll come check it out. Listen, you know, some of us kind of are related to Nicodemus. So every time we've ever invited him all he's done is argue with us and scratch his head and say, I don't get that. I don't see why that's that way. So we start thinking everybody's that way. Everybody's not that way. Nicodemus may be that way until the day that perhaps God does something in his heart to where he's no longer that way. But there are others who, when you say, come and see, they're going to come and see. And we need to believe that. Now, all of us are going to have some obstacles in the getting here. How How do you do evangelism? It's not easy, is it, to interact with people over spiritual matters in their lives it was not easy for her knowing who she was there were obstacles there were social obstacles and barriers for her inviting people. she was a woman and just being a woman did not give her a voice into the public realm the way in which she exercised it the way in which women were looked at in that age there were there were sayings i mean if you if you spent too much time with a woman there was there was rabbis that taught just time together with a woman would be reason for evil to have come into your life. I mean, there was this teaching about women in society here. She had to climb a huge societal barrier for her to stand in front of all these folks and go and invite them to come. Not only was there a social barrier, there was a personal barrier. She wasn't just a woman. She was a woman with a reputation. It's that woman who just came and knocked on your door. That woman. What was she doing here? And she's inviting folks. There was personal awkwardness. Can you imagine the personal barriers? I and mean, she's either avoided or slept with the people in this town. That's got to be a little bit uncomfortable, huh? How I many families that she's kind of got connected to through being married to this one, then married to this one, then leaving that one, and married to this one, and then going on to this one over here, and then sleeping with this guy over here? She has some real personal awkwardness, but yet she still overcomes that. And brings the gospel to people's lives. Even this whole exchange with Jesus, Jesus is having to overcome obstacles in this exchange. Remember when Matt read through the early part of this passage? Jesus, Jesus is at the well, wearied. He's tired. Matter of fact, it appears as though he is so tired that the other guys went in to go get food. He didn't. He didn't go with them. Real fatigue. Ken Hughes says, when Jesus came to the well, he was weary. The long walk from the south to the north, the disciples pressing him and badgering, made him a tired man. Then the woman came to the well. After the initial verbal sparring, the conversation began to pick up, and so did he. He was exhilarated in the service of God. He was feasting on the potential he saw in the woman's life. He was so absorbed in what could happen to her that he forgot himself. Jesus found sustenance by being consumed by God's work. That's a wonderful message. Listen, this is a message I'm reading, I'm observing that. Um, Any of us who are at any point in in, in touch with being tired, and I don't know if there's anybody who's not these days, and everybody tired, couldn't we all just use a nap right now? (laughs) If you're in touch with being tired, you have this built-in reason to not do something. To not extend your life into somebody else's life and 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 this would be you know i'm I'm looking at the Son of God saying god i 'm taking lessons from your life right here because I can't count on hands and feet how many times I would have steered away from an opportunity to be extended into someone 's life because I was tired and listen i i'm not, I'm not uh, unlegitimizing tiredness and fatigue. I'm sure there were some points in which Jesus was tired that he went to sleep. That's what he did, right? Like in a boat when everybody's about to drown, he slept. There were points in which sleeping was the right thing to do. There were points in which getting away from everybody. Jesus didn't always run to crowds. He ran away from them as well at points to get alone with God. There was times in which that's the right response, but, but I find too often I'm, I'm needing to look at this example and remind myself Uh, Giving of yourself sacrificially into one more person's need, to one more phone call, one more counseling opportunity, one more interaction with a person, or, or just my children, interacting with them in moments when I'm tired and I don't want to do that. Could be opportunities for a supernatural encounter that God is bringing. And it's not as though Jesus is reluctant. I don't think he had this miserable look on his face what are you doing here? You know, Here we go. Conversation with another lost person. Um, you know, there was something in his heart. He absolutely loved doing this. Look in these passages in verse 31. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one of these guys, they're such knuckleheads, aren't they? <laughs> I said, I'm not faulting them. I probably would have been the one saying this myself. But just when you read it in the Bible, poor guys they had no idea. All their stupidity would be put down for people to read for generations to come. <laughs> Duh. Has anyone brought him something to eat? <laughs> this is like a Scooby-Doo cartoon. Verse 34. Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you not say, there are yet four months, then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Some commentators said they wonder at this point whether Jesus actually had looked up. And at this point, he is seeing the people from Sychar come to him. You know, normally they would, in a glaring sun, a lot of people wore white. It was commenting to reflect the sun, keep you from getting overheated. So is he actually telling them, look up in a, you know, Up across this hillside is coming individual after individual. He's saying, normally you would be thinking, you plant here, you harvest much later, but look, I just planted a minute ago, and look, the harvest is plentiful. You know, God is at work. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life, so that sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labor. I love this statement. He puts it in a category of soul sustenance, of food. I have food that you do not know of. My food is to do the will of Him who sent me. And what, a, what a statement. The food, the thing that sustains, that brings to me a sense of satisfaction. Remember, He is tired and hungry. They're going to get food. When he gets back, he doesn't say, hey, you got the po' boy? That's not the first thing on his list. His encounter with doing the will of God has turned his attention from these natural realms of tiredness. And he is experiencing a deeper satisfaction in his life. And then he turns to them and he says, guys, you are laborers in a harvest field. That's who you are. And what an assignment. We find that assignment all throughout Scriptures. We are laborers in a harvest field. Every one of us, under the banner of "Go into all the world and make disciples. It's not a verse describing somebody besides me. It's a verse describing me. We are all laborers, and I wonder how many Christians have embraced this as their mission statement. This is the mission statement over our lives. We are laborers in a harvest field. That's what we do. Now, we may occupy... Some time in our lives as being uh, engineers or businessmen or mothers or housewives or uh, students. But we are laborers in the harvest field. And it may just be that uh, the field is in the realm of being a student. My primary job there is to be a laborer. It may just be in my household... As a mother, my primary job is to be a laborer in the harvest field. Maybe just be on the work site at a construction place where I'm at. But my assignment there is to be a laborer in the harvest field. Now, I, 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 I wonder sometimes whether we have somehow flipped our priorities. I'm a project manager. Hey, Keith, nice to meet you. Who are you? I'm a project manager. That's who I am. And every once in a while, I might act like inviting somebody to something like an alpha. No, we, we are called to live our whole lives strategically as laborers in a harvest field. And, oh, by the way, you manage projects. By the way, this is primary for every Christian. This is primary, this calling in our lives. My food is to do the will of him who sent me. You know, there is something soul satisfying about doing the work of God. There, is, there just is. There's something about about when you walk in the will of God and you walk in the purpose of God when all of its challenges and difficulties that brings a sense of my soul feels right about this. And when we don't do that, it brings a great sense of unhealthiness to a Christian's life. To try and be a Christian without serving and doing evangelism and reaching out in the world and praying to the Lord of the harvest to send forth laborers into the harvest field, to not do that is to begin to have disease in the Christian life. It's why many, many Christians struggle with having joy and building faith and overcoming things that should be speed bumps that have become mountains. This is so big. I don't know what we're going to do. This is terrible is going to happen. And we're all worrying out loud about every little thing because we've got minuscule faith. Because we don't put our lives on the line. We don't walk in such a way that we're we're advancing the kingdom faith is coming into our lives wind is coming into our lungs satisfaction food sustenance for the soul is happening as i fulfill the will of god charles spurgeon said this this is a rather blunt comment that he made to his folks charles spurgeon very gracious man very direct though some of you good people who do nothing except go to public meetings, Bible readings, and prophetic conferences, and other forms of spiritual dissipation. (laughs) It's an interesting choice of words for those things, but okay, Charles. Would be a good deal better Christians if you would look after the poor and needy around you. If you would just tuck up your sleeves for work and go and tell the gospel to dying men. You would find your spiritual health mightily restored. For very much of the sickness of Christians comes through their having nothing to do. All feeding and no working makes men spiritual dyspeptics. Be idle, careless, with nothing to live for, nothing to care for, no sinner to pray for, no backslider to lead back to the cross, no trembler to encourage, no little child to tell of a Savior, no gray-headed man to enlighten the things of God, no object, in fact, to live for, And who wonders if you begin to groan and to murmur and to look within until you are ready to die of despair? Listen, we're Christians who've not taken on enough of the work of the kingdom to occupy us. So therefore we're we're very in tune with who we are and who we are not, and our navel gazing is profound, and we know all this stuff about us and we're so discouraged. You know, you know, if you get busy in the kingdom of God, doing what God's called us to, the great, one of the great things is, here's a good selfish motivator, one of the great things is, is you get to pay less attention to yourself. It's kind of a nice deal. If I just sit around and stare at me all the time, I just, at the end of the day, I'm not jumping for joy. I mean, I just, there's all kinds of stuff about me that I, if I just really choose to make that the object of my mission, It's miserable. Then you move from that into your marriage and into your children. Get about the work of the kingdom. It's healthy. It's breathing. You just don't... Oh, I'm going to hold my breath till Jesus comes. You're going to pass out. You become unhealthy. You need oxygen. It needs to be a come and go. Come and go from your life. It produces health. I don't, I don't know if Christians know how many times in our culture today they have given way to this consumer culture that we're in this customer service Christianity that we're a part of, to where we show up in churches and it's all about, okay, well, how does this church do this for me? That way? Mm, that's not going to work for us, see, because we don't like the meeting being at that time. So we'll go somewhere else. How's children's ministry done here? I mean, do you have this and this and this for our children? Yeah? No? Well, then we'll probably not be staying. How many times have you run into a Christian who says, you know, well, we were in this church for a number of years, but, you know, we, we left this church to go over here because, you know, we just weren't being fed. You know, it's the preacher's fault. We weren't being fed. I, I would wonder if you looked at that person's life and looked to see whether these dynamics were occurring. Were they serving in other areas? Were they taking risks, laying down their lives, stepping out in faith, reaching out to the lost, helping those who were newly into the faith to take steps of faith into maturity and growth and righteousness, putting their lives on the line for the kingdom of God? I wonder if that person would sound the same way if that described their lives. So we, we can't be Christians who are living from message to message, just hoping oh, I came in here today, hoping that somehow the message would prop me back up. And maybe the thing that props you back up is laying down your life. The thing that props you back up is taking a step of faith and watching God come and invade somebody else's life. Some Samaritan woman who you know. I mean, my heart goes out to this woman. What a tragic life. Until the day she meets Christ. I don't know when the last day of joy this woman had. She is skipping our way back into town you know when you get with people do do you see people's lives that way the tragedy of what their life is apart from Christ is there nothing in us that compels us to go to them and just say come and see come and check this out let me ask the baptism candidates if you guys would go ahead and make your way to get changed if you haven't already done that You know, come on back in here when you're done with that. Make one last point. I'm going to ask Matt to go ahead and and come up. You know, what's so exciting about watching this woman's life? What what an impact her life has. This is the starting point of a revival. This encounter she has with Christ and her expression of it and her witness to it begins this avalanche of many people getting saved you know at at face value you think who would have a larger impact on reaching the lost who would be a better strategic person to reach out to nicodemus or this woman nicodemus of course big religious guy he's got it together he's an official he's respected He has a voice and a platform. People listen to him. If he were to get saved, man, we walk through our lives and we don't find Nicodemus having an impact anywhere. This woman starts a revival in her town. Remember, this woman with the bad reputation and the dysfunctional life starts a revival in her town. put a question in here for us as we wrestle through sharing the faith that's in us. What is it that makes you feel like your evangelistic contribution is insignificant? What causes you to feel like, well, I don't know if it really make much of a difference for me. Tell them, you know, I mean, I, I can't answer everybody's questions. And, you know, I don't know a lot of apologetics and, and people would raise questions. And, you know, I just don't, I, don't, I wouldn't know what to say to them. Or maybe... Maybe you're just not the most influential person. You're the baby of your family. You know, your older brothers are all successful. They've got categories of great success. And you're kind of you're not the most successful child in the litter. You're wondering, you know, I don't know if they'd listen to me. You know, I don't know. Man, I'm just kind of the goofy little brother and kind of insignificant to them. And, or maybe at work you're not somebody important. or At your school you're not somebody who's influential. You look at this woman's life and realize this insignificant, immoral woman was the doorway for many to come to Christ. Might it be true that that's who we're supposed to be as well? Let's stand up together. Thank you that you're the God who finds us wherever our pattern of life takes us. Lord, you find us. Thank you. And I look at this woman. We don't, we don't know her name, Lord, but she had a name. She was a little girl one day. And walked through life and, and went from bad to worse on her before she knew what happened. And she was living this life of great heartache and difficulty. And she created a world that she could get away from some of those things. But God, she couldn't get away from you. And you interrupted her life at that well. And revealed yourself to her. Lord, I pray right now in this room, there are folks who find themselves at whatever well they're running to. Whatever manner of life that they've created. Whatever way then. They may be religious, but something's not working. Lord, their life is broken. They're moving from thing to thing, job to job, relationship to relationship. Lord, whatever it is. They're trying to make it work, but it's just not working. God, I believe that you are here this morning just like you were at that well. To speak to their hearts. To tell them what you really need is a living water. Water that would quench your thirst so that you never, ever thirst and run from thing to thing or need to need or desperation to desperation. Lord Jesus Christ, thank You that You are that water. When our souls find You, we are fulfilled and satisfied and joy comes in the morning. God, I pray for any that are here today that perhaps find themselves in the category maybe of of a religious Nicodemus or a wealthy man like the rich young ruler who's put a lot of hope in their wealth or maybe a woman like the Samaritan whose life is beat up and bruised. And Lord Jesus, you are the answer for every one of them. And all they need to do this morning is reach out by faith the same way that she did. to say, I believe. I believe in you. I give you my life. Come, I confess you as my Lord. I want you to have all that I am. If you're here today and you've never said that to Christ and you've never had that kind of an encounter with Him, tell it to Him right now. Tell it to Him. Don't worry about who's around you. Don't worry about anything else but Him. He can fix your life and give you purpose. That's not something you want to walk past. Tell Him right now. Jesus, I want you to touch my life the way you touched hers. I want a story to tell. I want you to so deeply impact me that I can't help but want to talk about you. Lord, for every person that that's not been their experience, God, right now, would you come in this moment? Make yourself real. God, open eyes. Let there be a reality of who you are. Oh, Lord, don't let your name and your reputation sit on some religious shelf back, way back far in our lives. God, come to the forefront this morning. Come to those who are here who don't know you that way and say, I want to I be in your life. I want to come and make a new life. I want to I take over your life. I want to be your Lord. I want to fill you with purpose. Or would you do that for every person here who doesn't know you? If you're here this morning and you know Christ and you know something of Confessing him and your life changing. I wanna I wanna poke on the issue of our concern for the lost. Are you here this morning concerned for the women at their wells? Do you remember the benefit you received when Christ came into your life? The taste of forgiveness. The burden of shame rolling off your back. The promises of a future. Do you remember that? Does it compel you anymore? J.C. Rowe says, Everyone who has received the grace of God and tasted that Christ is gracious ought to find words to testify of Christ to others. Where is our faith? If we believe that souls around us are perishing and that Christ alone can save them and yet hold our peace? Where is our charity if we can see others going down to hell and yet say nothing to them about Christ and salvation? We may well doubt our own love to Christ if our hearts are never moved to speak of Him. We may well doubt the safety of our own souls if we feel no concern about the souls of others. Lord, let that not be what's said of the condition of our walks with You. Lord, awaken in us. God, I pray right now, Holy Spirit, I know that You are here. Your presence is here and the wind of Your Spirit can blow upon the dry bones of our lives. It can bring back the vibrancy dynamics that have fallen asleep and that have become neglected. Lord, I pray supernaturally You would blow through this meeting. You would blow through our hearts. You'd blow a fresh wind upon our lives of concern for the lost, of compelling to move toward them, of telling the story. God, I pray that in every heart you would at least put, Come and see. God, whether I can explain everything else, whether I can corner somebody in their arguments, whether I can disagree with them and disarm them, God, maybe I'll never be able to do that, but I can say, Come and see. Come see for yourself. And if, it, and if he doesn't do anything for you, I would understand you walking away. But come and see. Come and at least see for yourself. God, right now I pray that you would awaken us with this opportunity, Lord, just a week and a half from now to extend an invitation to folks to encounter Christ. To encounter the Savior. To let the Son of God pull up next to the well of their lives and have a conversation with them that's supernatural and that bores into the details of who they are. God, I thank You that that happens night after night in Alpha meetings where Your presence comes and people experience conviction. Their eyes get open and they realize they've been missing something. They realize You're the one who can heal them. Lord, would you awaken in us this great opportunity to go and find folks in our lives and just say, hey, come and see. Come and check it out. It's had an impact on me. I think it'll have an impact on you. Lord, Lord, may we, may we find ourselves in the next week running eagerly into lives with invitations. For them to just come and see and realize, Lord, maybe that little invitation from us will open a doorway, a floodgate into our families, into our neighborhoods, into our employment places. Oh, God, let us not minimize what you do. This is not because this woman was great. It was because you are great in the midst of people who are not. Do that again, Lord, in our day. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, are we ready with those guys being baptized today? Um, let's see. We we finished early on purpose, so this will not be a real long baptism. I tell you what. If you guys are needing, I mean, we're going to take a, just a little quick four-minute break here. If you needed to get your children, go ahead and get them. Come bring them back in here with you. It's a great opportunity for them to see baptism as well. So uh, go ahead and get your kids. Come right back in. And in just about four minutes, you'll hear some music, and we're going to be starting.